When you know that you've sinned terribly against God, when you know that you've strayed far from the truth, where do you find the confidence to go back to the one that you've offended? How do you know that God will be willing to receive you? He says he rejoices. He says he's compassionate. He says he forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, which means I can be forgiven. And that is a reason for me to pursue and pursue. And that's a reason to have a motivation and a belief. Hey, this is Nate Dancer, the host of Purity for Life. This is the second episode in our new series, A Firm Foundation. In this series, we're digging deep into God's Word, looking for vital truths that we can build our lives on. Truths that will lead to a strong and victorious Christian life. Today we'll look at two passages of Scripture that shed light on one of the most precious realities about God. He is full of mercy toward anyone who will repent. That's what's coming up on Purity for Life. Here we go. Okay, so this is the second episode in our series of Firm Foundation, and again, I just want to reiterate for those who are watching or listening that the purpose of this series is to help people really believe that the only foundation that is safe to build our lives upon is the Word of God. Um, that's one thing that we're constantly telling people who come to us. You know, we can't, if we try to build our lives on popular opinion or the wisdom of men or our own feelings and intellect, then that foundation is going to crumble and fall at some point, right? But the Word of God is strong and it's enduring and we can build our life on it. But if we're going to do that, we have to know what it says, we can't build our life on this if we're totally unfamiliar with what it teaches and what, what its purpose is. So we need to be spending quality time in the Word of God every single day. So that's the purpose. We want to challenge those who are joining us to make that commitment if they haven't already and then equip them to do that, right? Not just like say, do it. We want to try to give people good study methods. We want to try to give people good study resources that they can use to help them. So in our last episode, we looked at 1 Corinthians 10 and Proverbs 7, and those chapters are really about God's wisdom and God's warning to stay away from sin. And as we move into today's episode, I'm just aware that some people who are listening have disregarded those warnings, they've ignored God's wisdom, and they're reaping the consequences of it. And so maybe they're saying to themselves, so like, what now? (laughs) You know, I mean, is there any hope for me? And we want to try to talk about God's heart for sinners in this episode. So I've invited Ryan Stempian to join me. He's one of our biblical counselors here at Pure Life Ministries, and we're going to look at Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13, and also Luke chapter 15. Um, So let's get started here with Matthew chapter 9. Can we talk about the context of these verses? Because one of the things that is so important when we're studying the Bible 
is not just to read a verse, but to read verses in their context, because that really helps us to understand more of what God wants us to get out of it. So what's the context here? Well, if we go back just a couple chapters, we find ourselves um, looking at the Sermon of the Mount. A lot of people, <laughs> Jesus grabs a lot of people's attention with that. And then moving forward, he is healing lepers. He's showing authority over nature. He's mm -hmm. casting out demons. And then we get into chapter 9, and that is where we get this first um, moment of Jesus not just healing a man, but forgiving him of sin. Oh, wow. Okay. And then we find ourselves in this situation. We uh, seize a tax collector. He calls him to himself. And they all, including sinners and tax collectors, they all have a meal with Jesus, and now he's starting to receive criticism. Uh-huh. And so we see just Jesus's, um, what would you call it, image to the public, I guess you can say, is changing. He's not just a teacher. He's not just a prophet who is able to do mighty works of God. He's one who's forgiving people. Uh. And now he's even crossing boundaries, um, cultural boundaries. Huh, yeah. Um, I really like how you were bringing out this progression, right? Like in Matthew 5 to 7, that's the Sermon on the Mount. He's teaching with authority. And then he's healing all these people, and that's a big deal. But then he's claiming that he can forgive sins. And that is, like you said, there's just this progression of teaching to miracles. Now he's going to the inside world of a person and saying, mm -hmm. I can touch you there. That is just really powerful. And that apparently really stirred up some mm -hmm. problems with the religious leaders. Let's read Matthew 9, 9 to 13 before we get any further. Mm -hmm. Can you go ahead and do that? Yeah. Um, this is in the ESV. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So as you read through this, um, what were the things really that stuck out to you? I think just kind of going in order of the verses, him calling Matthew was probably just the first thing that kind of comes out, just because I'm trying to think of it. Here's Jesus, he's full of the Holy Spirit, and he's walking by a tax booth, and there's some check inside. We don't know what's going on in the spiritual realm, but there's something in him that sees him, and he says, I want to call this man and have him follow me mm. of all people. So just the point, like he knows his life, his history. The father knows this man's life because Jesus sought to do the will of his father. Mm -hmm. It's just something that just sticks out to me the most is, okay, the Lord had compassion on this man. Yeah. 
Yeah, and <clears throat> I remember when I read this, I think I was preparing for a sermon or something. I was just thinking about, he called Matthew in the tax booth, hmm. right? This was the place where Matthew, as a tax collector, would have extorted people from hmm. their money, where he would have cheated people, where he would have taken advantage of people. And it's right there where Jesus said, follow me. I was thinking of like, what would be a modern day example of that? It would be like Jesus going into a, a strip club, going into the back room, and a stripper is there on her break, and he says, follow me. Hmm. You know, this was like the place of all of his sin. Mm -hmm. And it's just amazing that Jesus had that kind of, I don't know, grace and compassion being so willing to call a person like Matthew. Yeah. And I think what kind of goes along with all of that too is that type of heart when someone knows, <laughs> when someone knows, when you know you're known and not rejected, when you are, know that someone sees you in all of your darkness, but they're seekingly out there trying to help you and meet your need, I mean, that just kind of goes into the next verse in verse 10 of, mm. okay, these people were willing to be with a holy man. Mm. And I don't know, you know, I, I guess it all kind of just depends on how we kind of can view Jesus, how we can view the Father, you know, what that atmosphere is like, what is it like to be around a man who's perfect or holy or just, or, you know, we can think about some of those attributes and we see that the darkest people, there's something in them that know they're safe. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right, because obviously the Pharisees, like it wasn't safe to be with the Pharisees, right? Because they, when they see Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners, they say, why? Why could he do that? But somehow they were many. It says many tax collectors and sinners came. Mm -hmm. and were reclining with him. So yeah, there was something about Jesus that drew even the most, what would you say, like reprehensible or the most blatant sinners to sit with Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I think just kind of like going off this whole topic, it's like, okay, <laughs> I heard warnings. Say I grew up in the church, I heard warnings where I'm a tax collector, I grew up in the Hebrew culture. I know the law, I know what that means in my life, I know the will of God to some extent, and I transgress it. Uh -huh. I find myself laid and down with a lot of baggage, um, you know, a lot of consequences of my sin, corruption going on in my inner man. But yet we see in the scriptures that Jesus is just, like it reminds me of kind of like the beginning of Galatians 6. Talking about like restoring people, bearing burdens, and doing it with the spirit of gentleness. I think. I think that's <laughs> the beginning of Galatians 6 there. It's like we see Jesus had that heart to restore people and not just, you know, not mock, criticize, or, you know, obviously we see Jesus points out sin and Pharisees and uh -huh. calls down woes, but at the same time, in the spirit of gentleness, he seeks to restore those who are lost. Yeah. Yeah. And apparently, the Pharisees couldn't, they couldn't reconcile how a holy man could do this, mm -hmm. right? Like how could he associate with people like this? Because in that day, to eat with a person 
was a lot different than us. We, you know, we wouldn't think. I mean, maybe if it was like mm -hmm. a serial killer, it would be like, ah, I'm not going to sit down and have a meal with that guy. But in that culture, to eat with somebody was much more of a statement. It said that you are my friend. Mm -hmm. I I can associate with you because we there's something that we have, you know, really deep in common. Mm -hmm. So for him to say, I'll eat with a tax collector or a sinner was to say, I accept them. I welcome them. Mm -hmm. And that was just too much for the Pharisees to stomach. It was like, if you were holy, you would never do that. Mm -hmm. um, I read something from a, a guy named Alexander McLaren, and he said this, the right emotion for a Christian looking on Christless crowds is pity. Hmm. Not aversion, anger, curiosity, or indifference. Pity. Jesus Christ had no aversions. His white purity was a great deal nearer to the blackness of the woman that was a sinner than was the leprous whiteness of the whited sepulcher that was the self-righteous Pharisee. And that's that's a quote about the uh, woman caught in adultery, I believe. Um, but I just that just was really powerful to me. Like God's holiness doesn't necessarily mean that He just repels everyone who is a sinner or is repulsed by sinners. You know, He's He's drawn to them in compassion, even though He hates sin, even though He is angry. And I don't, yeah, I'm not, I don't even know if I can really describe it because I don't know if I fully understand it, but there's more to his holiness than just a sense of righteous anger against sin. There's also in God's holiness a compassion <clears throat> mm -hmm. for the sinner. Yeah, I, I think kind of going along with that it just kind of had me thinking about the glory of God as revealed to Moses. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy to thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, and by no means clearing the guilty. Yeah. Passing down the sins of the Father, the third and fourth generation. But with all of that, it's like the glory of God is his character. Uh-huh. And his character is to suffer long. Hoping, you know, it kind of goes along with that uh, verse out of Isaiah. It's like, if he sees a smoking flax and a tax collector, he says, I want I want to deal with that. A broken reed, I'm not going to just go and snap it and say, it's done. It's yeah. practically done. It's dead. Yeah. Might as well just finish the job. No, like he's going to try to restore someone yeah, who yeah, is yeah. has some degree of sincerity. Huh. And that is very much his glory. Yeah, when I think of his glory, it's so easy to think of bright, shining, his brightness, his holiness, you know, I can't, you know, I'm going to fall down dead before him, which is true. Like, yeah. man, that's, he's holy. But then also his desire to heal. Yeah. And to fight on behalf, to bring, bring one into righteousness, to bring someone into the will of God and to keep him there. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing because that's basically what he says at the very end. You know, why, when the Pharisees say, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Then his answer. Why don't you talk a little bit about his answer? Well, some other scriptures that kind of came to mind with that. Um, one was like Psalm 51. Like, okay, I desire a broken and contrite heart, not sacrifice. 
That's what's pleasing to me. That's mm. the sacrifice I desire. And then another one that goes with it is out of Isaiah 66, 2, where it says, this is on whom I'll look. He who has a broken and contrite heart right. and trembles at my word. And I'm just, with all that, it's like God sees a humble man. That man's going to get grace, whether he's a tax collector, a soccer mom, works in an office, was a stripper, you know, addicted to porn, ruined their life. That person who is coming down and turning, God's like, that man, that woman, I see you and I'm rushing towards you and I want the heart behind the religious sacrifice. Mm -hmm. I don't want just the outward form. I want the heart that's behind it. Wow. I don't want the peace offering that just says, thank you, Lord. This is my, this animal here is my gratitude. No, God actually wants the gratitude. It's the heart that's the after. Wow. So it's like, yeah, you know, that's. Man, that's awesome. I never thought about it that way. That's really good. So those sacrifices that God instituted in the Old Testament were supposed to be a picture of what was happening in the heart. <laughs> so like the guilt offering, there was supposed to be a sense of guilt. You know, the, mm -hmm, the peace yeah. offering, there was a sense of reconciliation in the heart. And so, you know, the Pharisees, they've got this religious facade and they're keeping up all the sacrifices, but they don't have the heart behind them. And he's saying, I'm sitting with all these tax collectors. Some of them have the sacrifice in the heart. You know, they're doing in their heart what I wanted the sacrifices to point to. How am I not going to accept them? Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so the reason that we wanted to talk about this passage is because this, this is supposed to be more than just a story. Mm -hmm. This is a revelation of what God is like toward us, not just toward Matthew, not just toward tax collectors back in the first century, but what is he like toward us, you know? And maybe there's people out there who are like, I've gone too far, and I've done too much. I knew that what I'm doing is wrong, and I grew up in the church, and I grew up in a good family, and look what I've done, and now is there any mercy for me? This is saying yes, because Jesus never changes. Mm -hmm. The way he treated these people is the way he will treat us if we come to him as a sick person. Yeah, and I think what's interesting is like you even hear it in his expression to the Pharisees of like, hey, this is what I'm looking for. It's like you see the fact that he's saying, hey, guys, see your need too because I want to have compassion on you as well. Yeah. And so like with all of it, it's like, okay, so, you know, the weight of our own sin, the consequences that go with it, yeah, the Lord is asking us, Okay, humble yourself, turn to me, and call, and keep calling. You know, I think maybe, I'm sure another podcast had said it before, but yeah, ask and keep asking, knock and keep knocking. Like, that's the one who's going to find it, and that's going to be the needy one. Mm. You know, that's the whole, on our side, that's the whole fight back, you know, uh -huh. back into fellowship with him. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I mean, hopefully this gives those who are, listening and watching, hopefully mm -hmm. that gives them a real good sense of, of what this passage is meaning to communicate, but also just a hunger for themselves, you know, like, wow, I could dig those treasures out too, mm. you know? I don't just need somebody else to constantly teach me. Um, let's go to Luke 15 then. Mm -hmm. Now, 
Luke 15 is a little bit different because Jesus is, it's, it's the same exact thing, mm-hmm. but Jesus isn't uh, directly teaching, he's using parables. Chapter 15, verse 1, this is the ESV. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So then he tells three parables, and I want to say a little something before we talk about these parables. I want to say a little something about interpreting parables because I think that it's important to understand why Jesus taught in parables and how to approach them so that we can correctly interpret them. Mm-hmm. Jesus, I, can, I don't remember where it is, but basically he, when he talked about why he used parables, it was because some people had ears but couldn't hear. And so those who did have ears, it was like an invitation. Look at this story, examine it, think about it, and you will draw a spiritual principle from this story. You'll see the meaning behind it. If you don't have ears to hear, that meaning will be concealed because the truth would make people like that more accountable. You know, So he kind of conceals it from people. Now, when we talk about interpreting parables, I think that from a little bit of reading that I did and also just kind of from my own experience, the best thing to do is just just say, what is the main point of this parable? Because there's all these little details that you'll read. Like, for instance, the Good Samaritan, there's, there's the man, there's the Levite, there's the priest, there's the donkey, there's the innkeeper. Mm-hmm. And you can start saying, okay, what does each one of these represent? But if you're not careful, you lose the main point. Mm-hmm. And then you're getting off of these all these like tangents. And it's not really helpful. It obscures the meaning. So yeah, we want to look very carefully at the context again. We want to look at the main point, And then I think we can start looking at some of the details and say, does this assist the main point? Or is this kind of just a detail that occurs just because Jesus is telling a story, you know? Um, so as we look at Luke chapter 15, what is, what would you say the main point of these three parables is? I would probably say the main point is God's heart over those who have been lost and are found. Uh Just make it simple. Uh Um, yeah, just trying to give an explanation. I mean, obviously in one sense, it's like, talking to the Pharisees of, okay, guys, like, is this your heart restoration? Mm. Are you sharing in this type of a, this type of joy? Because that's like a consistent theme in each one. You know, there's something lost that gets found and there's a know, party. There is a party. <laughs> hey, I found the coin. Like guys, I found everybody. I found the coin. Like, right, right. I'm like, the sheep <laughs> join in. Yeah, yeah. 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 You know, and it's like, so, you know, the main point is, man, it is his delight. Mm-hmm. It is his delight to receive mm-hmm. lost ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. That's like you said, and that's really, I think, helpful. Like when you read through a passage and you start seeing repeated themes, mm-hmm. that's definitely a key to what's going on. So when you, when you see in verse 6, 
the man who found the sheep, saying, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. And when you see in verse 9, the woman who found the coin, saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the coin that I had lost. And in the parable of the prodigal son, you see the father saying, Bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let's eat and celebrate. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, this is... This is a point. This is a mm-hmm. main point. And it's just that when God finds a person that has been lost, he absolutely goes crazy. Mm-hmm. Enjoy. Yeah, and like for you, what does that reveal about God's heart towards sinners? Yeah, I mean, um, it kind of just reminds me of my story a little bit. Um, when I was kind of fighting out of my sin, trying to um, just come back to the Lord. I just can recall how much hopelessness uh-huh. I was kind of experiencing. Maybe sometimes, you know, have a quiet time and it's like, wow, it seemed like I think I felt the, the presence of the Lord. Then other times it's just like, okay, that was dry. That was maybe even kind of painful. I'm experiencing temptation. I'm like, you know, things are going through my mind, tempting thoughts as I'm trying to seek the Lord and it's very discouraging. And I think Having something that doesn't change like the word that is saying that the Lord is, you know, like obviously we know that the prodigal, the prodigal son, like the father runs after the son when he's approaching the road. But with all of this, he is doing all he can to find a sheep, find a coin, and he's doing all he can in my life to bring me back. Like it kind of reminds me, you know, just something else out of the word. I think this is out of Luke 12 where it says like it is the father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom mm. with the sense that like, if we, okay, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, it's okay. He wants to give it to me and it's his desire to do it. Right. But we also know it's gonna be a fight, but knowing that it's not, he's not just there kind of stiff arming me, saying like, oh, you really want this? Like, well, <laughs> yeah, no, it's okay, now come. Keep coming, keep running down the road, son. You know, and like those are those encouraging, like it needed, needs to be encouraging because we're not just promised this kind of seamless journey. You know, it's going to be a trek, yeah. but he's for us in that trek, no yeah. matter how far down we went. Right. Yeah. It, what you're saying, that's so good because it can be very discouraging in this process of repentance, right? Mm-hmm. This is, I mean, and Jesus even says it, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. So this is about people in the process of repentance mm-hmm. and what God's attitude toward them is in this whole thing. Like, for one, he's seeking them, like you said. Mm-hmm. We, what we feel like sometimes, not everybody, but what we sometimes feel like is, I'm doing all this seeking of God, mm-hmm. but does he want me back? Mm-hmm. And it's obvious, yes, he does. And even I think you can sort of draw from this that if we're seeking him, it's because he's been seeking us. Yeah. You know, he's that first seeker in all of this. And yeah, so even with the ups and downs of repentance and what that looks like, one day we're like, woohoo, I'm doing great. And then the next day you're just in the dumps. It's like, man, I'm never going to make it. But we have to have this as a fixed understanding of God that he, like you said, he delights to give the kingdom. He's not, yeah, stiff-arming us, like you said, he's not stingy, he's not like, 
well, I guess I'll give it to them because they won't stop bothering me. Right. He longs to give us the kingdom. Yeah, man, that's so good. Um, so let's, I mean, maybe we could just talk a little bit about each one of these parables and some of the stuff that stuck out to you that was helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously when it comes to the sheep, you know, it's like we have 99 sheep. They're not needing repentance. They've been following him. And the whole thought of this other sheep, I'm thinking, is full of briars and sticks, you know, hasn't been eating. You know, there could be disease, hasn't been drinking well. But the journey, the willingness to kind of like search up and down through the wilderness. And I think, you know, just thinking in like our own lives, like we can make a flash to Hosea and stuff like that. And, oh, yeah. You know, just like, yeah, how he kind of hedges us in. So all of a sudden we stop. And we turn and we're like, man, Jesus, please. I don't know how to get out of this anymore. Anyway, so not to go down deep with any of those things, but just thinking about that lamb, a helpless lamb. And yeah, not to kind of like keep going back over the rejoicing, but I really do like that persistent theme. Yeah. I, oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, where, where he's saying, uh, I think it's in, yeah, in verse 4, he leaves the 99 in the open country and goes after the one that is lost until he finds it. Mm-hmm. Just like, I'm not giving up on this sheep. Yeah. <laughs> There's something in the heart of God that is like, I see that they're straying. I see that they're rebelling. I see that all that it's going to cost me, but because of my love, I'm going. Mm-hmm. I, will, I will do it. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting, I think, with actually those first two parables, verses 1 through 10, how it is the main focus is all about God's pursuit. Coins aren't making themselves found. Right. <laughs> Sheep get lost. They're not very smart. We've heard that many times. Uh-huh. And the whole emphasis Jesus wants to make, because, yeah, the next story is going to be about the man coming to his senses and churning. But this is all about God's just earnest, earnest pursuit. You know, so obviously that's just kind of like the big picture with kind of like each one of these things is that yeah. God is earnestly pursuing all of us. You know, it's like that little conviction where it says, I'm done with my sin. <laughs> well, mm. I don't know how to get back out of this. But like those are those moments of like God doing all this pursuing, setting things up in our lives. And it's just mm. always good to get that reflection because that doesn't feel like compassion. That most certainly those experiences don't feel like the love of God in my life. Yeah, But it's like that whole thing is like you can have a powerful service, but the next day it's like i got to remind, remind myself. The cross is God saying, I love you, and this is my action. Huh. And let that be the thing that persuades my thinking. The motivation to deal with my pride is knowing like his love is there. Um, are, you, are you saying like as we are sort of being chastened for our sin, that, that is a ref, like that's a, a sign that God is pursuing us? <laughs> yeah, I mean not to make it a the big focus um, because I do want to keep keep the eye on the Lord here. But I think even with all of that, we experience our chastenings in life. You know, we can look at like Proverbs three, we can look at Hebrews twelve, we can look throughout the Bible. You know, God's chastening of Israel, for instance. Uh-huh. You know, it's like none of that feels good. Yeah. You know, just always a good call, like, man, why we need the body on just a separate side note. And I don't want to spend a lot of time with that to encourage and help 
what mine does. Because when we're going through it, when I'm that lost sheep, it's like the thing I'm not thinking of is the love of God. The thing I'm thinking of is all these terrors in my, you know, everything bad that happened that got me here. Mm, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I definitely love how you were pulling that out, that the first two parables are all about God's pursuit. Because then when you turn to the prodigal son, it's almost like the father didn't do any pursuing, right? He's just waiting. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe that hmm. that sort of contrast or that detail in the first two is saying that even though it feels like God is waiting for you to come to your senses and get it together and turn around and repent, he's not. Yeah, He's not just passively waiting. Mm-hmm. He is pursuing. And maybe you could even kind of say that about the prodigal son that like, in God's providence, I mean, it's hard because mm-hmm. f- the father in the po- prodigal son is supposed to be God. So, but you could just sort of read into some of this that, like, what the prodigal son went through was God's pursuit. Mm-hmm. You know, a famine arose in the land. Right. And he became hungry <laughs> and all of his wealth was gone. And so that's like God's pursuit saying. Right, yeah, that's that chastening almost. Here's the right. lamb with all the tears in its hair, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, let's move on to the prodigal son as we start to wrap up a little bit. But what was, what was it that really stuck out to you about the prodigal son story? Honestly, you know, again, it's hard not to kind of like get the focus on the guy uh-huh. Here, uh huh. But what is just interesting is there, you know. And I just, just a little side note. It's like, man, he had a, there was a determination in him. He thought this through, and that's man. That's just the where the Lord is kind of doing in all of our lives. He's bringing us to a deeper desire for Him, uh-huh. right? Because He came to a place where it's like, man, His mind changes, and He's like, okay, like I'm going to have to think this through. How am I going to get back home? Mm. And I think that whole process of the Lord working in our lives, like one thing I'm just thinking of, like, man, like the God working out something in him where he had like, you know, just a working of the part just poverty of spirit in his life. Where do you see that? Just that whole point where it's like, okay, any sense of entitlement that he might have had was starting to just diminish, like, okay, I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against you, Dad, and take me back as a servant. Uh. But it's just interesting because you look at the whole prodigal, it's like his hope was he knew his father was kind. Mm. And therefore, he was willing to make these sacrifices. He was willing to say, okay, I don't have much money. I'm going to have to get enough money for food and water. I'm going to have to walk back. Right. But... I'm putting everything on the fact that the Father will receive me even if it's just as a servant. Oh, wow. And that was his motiv- That was the thing that motivated him in his repentance. Yeah. And it's like, man, it's just a really good picture for us because it's like, I know we wait for these large spiritual moments, and it's like motivating myself with the Word of God, knowing that, okay, he says he rejoices. He says he's compassionate. He says he forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, which yeah. means I can be forgiven. Yeah. And that is a reason for me to pursue and pursue. And a, that, that's a reason to have a motivation and a belief. Uh-huh. Even though everything is kind of going against that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, one of the pieces of probably helpful background information 
is that for this son to say to his father, give me the share of property that's coming to me, obviously that's basically saying like, dad, can't you die already? Mm -hmm. You know, because I want my money now. And then he goes and just wastes it on, on reckless living, prostitutes and parties and stuff. And in those days, for a son to dishonor his father at that level, that son, if he showed his face around there again, was going to face some serious consequences, mm-hmm. you know, because that community of people yeah. would have seen, like, we don't want your kind around here. And there probably would have been some motivation from from people even to injure the boy or potentially even kill him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's one of the reasons that the the father ran, was to protect, to show right away no, not my son. I mm-hmm. I totally forgive him. I receive him back. It's like nothing ever happened between us. And we need to know that about God's heart. We do that like you like you said in this process of repentance as we're turning. Maybe think about a guy who's been locked in pornography, you know, for 5 years or something and he's like that's it. I'm done. There's going to be a process of he's going to have to make changes in his life. He's going to have to set up boundaries. He's going to have to get into the Word and get into prayer, rebuild that relationship. And that doesn't, it's not going to just happen overnight. Mm -hmm. And there's going to be fluctuating emotions and all that. We've already talked about that. Yeah, we have to know that in the heart of God is this compulsion, you know, of love to run to us and to forgive us. Yeah, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, and I know this was something that's kind of like brought out, and it was just, <laughs> it was my main focus really was just how in each parable the desire is to share. And I'm thinking for even like, like he didn't just share it with his neighbors, like, guys, my son came back. He didn't, you know, go find his, you know, he shared it with the transgressor himself. He shared joy with the transgressor. He poured out love on that transgressor. Yeah. And what just kind of was really kind of sticking out to me with all of that was we know the process of repentance is a difficult one. Um, joyful may not always be a description we would use. Yep. But I would also say I think for anyone who has been fighting through that for quite some time, at some point, they're going to experience the joy of the Lord and God's going to restore the joy of their salvation. Yeah. And he's going to share in them with that. He's not just giving it like, okay, this will give them a little boost in the right direction. It's like, look, I'm proud of where you're going. Mm. And I am delighting in the fact that you've done this Mm. and that you are doing this. Okay, it's been a year and a half that you've been fighting. It's been three years. And it just increases. You know, and that's just his heart to kind of bestow as we continue to fight and walk down that road. You know, and that's that's why it's like the biggest part of me was like he wants to share in that piece. It's love that motivates him. It's not just duty. It's not just, okay, I already committed my name to this, so I'm just, I got to do it. Right. <laughs> you know, I just, it's the right thing to do, so I yeah. guess I'm just going to do the most moral choice here. No, it's like I want, I delight in the fact that you have chosen life. I delight in the fact that I'm going to give you life. You know, and that is just an encouragement for anybody because, yeah, walking with the Lord is an easy one. 
Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. We need this. We need this very deeply in us mm-hmm. for all of our life that the Father delights in anyone who repents. That's the whole point. Mm-hmm. Anyone who repents receives an insane amount of love and acceptance and joy from the Father. Even if maybe we don't feel it, mm-hmm. the Father's heart is overflowing with joy that we've chosen to repent. And we need to know that. Okay, this is really great. Thanks very much for coming in and talking about the Father's heart toward sinners. Well, that's it for this episode. Hey, we'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions about studying the Bible that you'd like for us to address in a future show, you can send us an email, purityforlife at purelifeministries.org, and we'll try to provide a helpful response for you. In our next episode, we're going to be looking at Hosea chapter 2. So we hope that you'll take some time this week to dig into that incredible passage, and we'll see you next time. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.